The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm superstar Frank Morano. The New York City Council closed out its two-year session yesterday with the passage of several policing and criminal justice-related bills that could set up the council's next veto fights with the mayor in the new year. At the last stated meeting of the session, the council voted to pass two fairly controversial pieces of legislation that Mayor Adams strongly opposes a bill banning solitary confinement in city jails and an act requiring police officers to report information about lower-level investigative encounters with civilians known as the How Many Stops Act. New York City public advocate Jamani Williams is a prime sponsor on both the solitary confinement ban and the Many Stops Act, which is a two-bill package. Both the solitary confinement ban and the How Many Stops Act have built up significant support in the council, including from Speaker Adrian Adams. The solitary confinement ban passed with a veto-proof majority with 39 votes in favor, seven against, and one abstention. Both bills that make up the How Many Stops Act also passed with veto-proof majorities, though that was a bit more narrow with 35 votes in favor, nine against, and three abstentions. So Mayor Adams was on the uh, Katz and Cosby show yesterday, and he didn't explicitly say he was going to veto these bills, but he led the people that were listening to think that he was likely to veto them. But if they have a veto-proof majority, it's not clear what good that will do. The How Many Stops Act attracted the support of police reform and advocacy organizations like Communities United for Police Reform and other similar organizations. And I have to tell you, I think it could be very problematic. My view on both of these is that they should be vetoed. I think that the council is very likely to overturn the veto, but in the case of the How Many Stops Act, my fear is that this could actually lead police officers to less proactive policing. In the statement that the mayor put out on this, he pointed to his own experience as a police officer and talked about how this would slow down police response times. Is that really what we want to do right now? And as far as the solitary confinement ban, while I'm no great lover of solitary confinement, I think there are instances where it's necessary, not for youth, but for adult offenders. And if you take that powerful tool away from the jail system, I shudder to think about what that's going to mean for future inmate behavior. So I'm glad the mayor is opposed to these, but I do hope he'll come right out and veto them. Beam me up! To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. Local Spotlight. Good! Tomorrow, everyone, this is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm superstar Frank Morano. Well, there is already a great deal of attention being paid to the special election coming up for Congress out on Long Island in the district formerly occupied by George Santos. It is mostly Nassau County, but it's got a little bit of Queens in there as well. And the Democratic candidate is former Congressman Tom Swazi. The Republican nominee for the special election is Maisie Melissa 
Pillip. She is 44 years old, has a fascinating life story. She's a mother of seven, an Ethiopian Israeli immigrant who actually served in the IDF as a paratrooper. And it's also very interesting because she's a registered Democrat. Now, the thing that I've been wondering, she seems pretty conservative. She seems pretty in line with where Republicans are. Why, since she's been elected as a Republican, has she not become a registered Republican? I'm not criticizing it. I'm just curious about it. And so she did an interview with Newsday, and she said that she began to align more with Republicans who solicited her to run for county legislature on their ticket in 2021. She said to Newsday the party didn't really care about her affiliation. Okay, you know, I buy that. She was asked if she'd register as a Republican. She said, quote, at any point I can do that. Now that's sort of a weird answer. I think the answer would either be maybe, yes, or no. That was sort of a non-answer. Voting records show that she didn't start voting consistently until about 2020. Now, this is what I found interesting about her response. And this is where, I don't know, I think she might be as phony as every other politician. She was asked by Newsday whether she voted that year, 2020, for Trump for president or for Biden for president. And her response was, why will I answer something like this? Well, because people want to know your judgment. They want to know if you voted for Biden, Trump, or for that matter, someone else. So she was asked directly, if she voted for Trump, she replied, quote, it's a personal question. Sure, but why don't you want to answer it? She said she disagreed with Trump's assertion that the 2020 election was stolen from him, but she said she would endorse whoever wins the Republican presidential nomination in 2024. I thought that was such a, a series of weird responses. If she's trying to not say she voted for Trump because she wants to win over Democrats, then I'm not sure what that says about her. If she voted for Biden, I'm not sure what that says about her either. Why not just say who you voted for and maybe provide a line or two of explanation as to why you voted that way? I'm happy to tell you who I voted for and why. You want to be in Congress and you won't even tell us who you voted for for president? That's a major red flag in my book. Beam me up. To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. If you've listened to me for any length of time, I think you know that I love to see big tech get a little bit of a comeuppance. And that's where I have to give the attorney general of the state of New York, Letitia James, a little bit of credit. The attorney general, together with a coalition of 53 attorneys general, has reached a groundbreaking seven hundred million dollar settlement with Google LLC. Now, this agreement addresses Google's monopolistic practices in its app store, which led to higher costs for consumers like me and for app developers. This lawsuit, which was co-led by the Attorney General Letitia James, accused Google of maintaining an unlawful monopoly over mobile app distribution and an in-app payment processing on Android devices. Google's dominance enabled the company to impose charges of up to 30% on app and in-app purchases, significantly inflating consumer costs. So under the settlement terms, Google is going to disperse $630 million in restitution to consumers affected by its anti-competitive actions between August 2016 and September of 2023. 
This certainly applies to me. If you're a Google customer, I would think it probably applies to you, too. You may have 2 or $3 coming your way. Consumers are going to receive automatic payments via PayPal or Venmo, or they can opt for checks or other types of transfers. The remaining $70 million covers sovereign claims by the state. I think this is wonderful news. And as part of the commitment to cease anti-competitive behavior, Google is required to make significant changes to its operations. Google has been acting like a monopoly, and I'm thrilled at this settlement. And I hope it sends a chilling effect to the next big tech company that tries to do the same thing. Beam me up. To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. Local Spotlight. If there is one thing that I have become more convinced about than ever in the last three years doing this show, it's of the importance of local media. We're seeing more and more communities develop news deserts. And I'm not just talking small rural towns. It is taking place in small and mid-sized cities as well. Even bigger cities are having a difficult time having full-time news coverage. That's why I thank goodness every day for the news coverage of the publication, The City. It's a nonprofit, and, you know, I don't have any vested interest in promoting them or anything. I'm just so glad that they're there because they expose the sort of local stories that every city should have an outlet exposing on a day-to-day basis. So they have done an incredible expose about the routine overpricing at the commissary at Rikers Island. Essentially, the inmates at Rikers are being are paying a whole lot more money for routine goods, including food, than what they should be paying. Well, now, pointing to the city's investigation of this routine overpricing at Rikers Island Commissary, the city controller, Brad Lander, is pressing for details of a proposed $33 million no-bid contract renewal. That's right, yet another no-bid contract renewal that would continue the status quo. I don't understand what it is about city government that they have all these no-bid contracts to give out. Well, in a letter to the newly appointed corrections commissioner, Brad Lander, the city's top fiscal watchdog, requested information about the company's prices and the proposed renewal, even though the contract has yet to be presented to him nearly half a year after it was announced. Imagine that. So when the Department of Correction unveiled the agreement, it touted provisions that department officials said would control prices and address persistent complaints of service glitches. Instead, a published list of items family and friends can purchase to ship to incarcerated people indicates that the overpricing is continuing as the company that's doing the overpricing, the Keefe Group, one of the largest for-profit vendors of prison and jail commissaries nationwide, has operated under an expired contract since June 30th. This is totally intolerable. Inmates shouldn't be getting built. These no-bid contracts should not be permitted to occur. And they should certainly not be able to make these announcements without any sort of oversight from the city's fiscal watchdog. Shame on everybody that made this happen. Beam me up! To be continued. 